Well, friends, we have the great privilege of having Pastor Musa Indi Martli. And uh, she's going to be sharing the word with us today. Everyone say, God bless Pastor Musa. Good morning, good morning. Did I do the right thing? All right, great. Could you stand with me this morning? Welcome, everybody. It's such an honor and a privilege to be bringing the word this morning as we come together to gather around the word of God, around the person of Jesus. So just wanting to dis- declare this scripture over you before we start, really feeling like it's the, it's the heart and essence of what we're going after in God this morning. It's Isaiah 55 from 8 to 11. <laughs> the Lord says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts your, than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth so that it reaps food for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that comes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Father, we release, Lord God, your word this morning. And Father, we open up our hearts to partner, Lord God, with the, with the reality that our, your thoughts are not our thoughts. Our thoughts are not your thoughts. Our ways and your ways are so far apart. But today, Lord God, we want to step into the reality of where you are, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would remove every obstacle, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would remove every pattern of thinking that prohibits us from seeing you as you are. And Father, I pray more than anything else that we would accept, Lord God, that the fact that your ways and our ways are different is a good thing. And that we would yield, surrender, and be blessed, Lord God, by the fact that we have a loving Father who is different to us, but better than us, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. You may have a seat. So welcome, everybody. If you're joining us for the first time, we have been on a 20-week journey through the book of Exodus. So we are somewhere around week eight. And so what we do at the beginning of every word is just give you a summary of where we are so that you don't feel like you're catching up. But because we're on social media, because we have the online world that has become such a big part of our reality, you can catch us online. So you can just go back, Every Nation Reimsuch on YouTube, and you will be able to catch all of the words that have been released up to now. So that's where we are. But just want to give us a summary of what is the book of Exodus, who are the Israelites, and where do we find ourselves in their story? So one of the taglines of the series has been, Israel's story is our story. And so we're wanting to make those connections and not look at the Israelites as these people that lived a long time ago and did dumb things. But we want to see how do we learn from these people? Why were they that way? And who was their God? So that we may find ourselves in the story. So what happened? There was this promise that was released to God, to Abraham from God. So God is talking to Abraham and he's giving him this promise and he's saying, I am going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. They will subdue the earth and through them all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So this is this great promise that God gives to Abraham. Abraham receives this promise in a time when he is trusting for just one child. And God is giving him this blessing and this promise that has to do with descendants that, is, that are as numerous as the stars. 
Anyway, obviously, Abraham, there's a story there, but it ends with the promise not being fully fulfilled. Fast forward 400 years later, you have this nation, these group of people, these he this Hebrew nation, the Israelites, who 400 years later have not seen this promise. On the contrary, they've landed up in this, in this nation under a pharaoh in Egypt, and they've settled there. As they settle there with this pharaoh, they begin to multiply, and they grow, and they, they're becoming numerous. And so what happens is that this pharaoh starts to get intimidated that if we have so many people that are not our people, they're not from our nation, just occupying all of the space it becomes a danger to them. Out of fear, Pharaoh decides they're going to enslave these people. They enslave them, but then what happens? They still multiply. So now you've got the slave community that's multiplying, and they're becoming more, they're becoming more of a problem. So what Pharaoh then decides to do that they increase the, uh, the way that they're giving them the slavery, they increase the oppression. They, they oppress them even further. So not only are they doing things for Egypt, now they're oppressed. And it is very clear that either the God of the Israelites has left them, or they've just got very bad karma. <laughs> so this is happening. They're slaves. They're being oppressed. Things are not going well. And then God sends Moses. Moses then goes to make these appeals to Pharaoh to let God's people go so that they can worship. And so what happens is this showdown where God is bringing plague after plague to communicate to Pharaoh that you need to let my people go. And these plagues happen and the culmination of them is this place where God then issues this decree to kill every firstborn son of the Egyptian nation. And after that, Pharaoh's like, okay, that's enough. Take your people, you may go. Go to your God, go and worship. And the Israelites literally are following God to this place of promise. So let's just read what the promise is so that we have an idea of where they thought they were going. So in Genesis 12, 1 to 3, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and where your kindred and father's house to the land that I will show you. So where are they going? They are going to the land that God will show them. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So in their minds, they've been enslaved for centuries. They've been pursuing this promise. I don't even know if this promise has been translated well through the generations. Because can you imagine? Abraham died a long time ago. So it had to be that. Sto stories are being told generation after generation to these descendants that we are contending, we are living, we are going after this promise of God. And although our circumstances are not communicating that God is alive and hears us and he's faithful, we're holding on to this promise. And so it had to be a promise that was inherited through generations. And so here they are now, finally, they are going to the promise. It's so great, right? The, the Red Sea um, parts, Carol preached about this last week, and they walk on dry land in the middle of the sea, and the Egyptians get consumed. Just a quick side note, that is the picture of our salvation, of what God did the moment we got saved. That parting of the Red Sea so that we can walk on dry land is that picture of what happens when we get saved. God did, through Jesus, something that we could have never done in our own strength. God allowed us access into a place that we would have never had access to were it not for Jesus. So they part the Red Sea, they cross over. I don't know what they're expecting. God said promised land. <laughs> so then there they get there. It's lovely. The Red Sea was parted. They're hungry. Because where they land up is like desert land. 
So, so it's not like, I mean, palm trees. I don't know what promised land you wouldn't be imagining. Maybe palm trees. Maybe, you know, maybe some oasis. Now think about this. These people, when they were hearing these stories about what God is going to do, they were slaves. And some of them, most of them were born into slavery. So now imagine dreaming as a slave. You have no idea what freedom looks like. All you know is what slavery looks like. And then on top of that, you have these pharaohs who are living what looks like the life that you want to live. So if you would imagine yourself as the Israelites, what, kind of, what kinds of dreams would they have been dreaming? They must have been dreaming to become pharaohs. They must have been dreaming to live the life that the Egyptians were living. So whatever God had in mind definitely was not what they had in mind. So as they were dreaming, they're dreaming of dot, 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 imagine yourself. But God obviously has a dream, has a plan, has a promised land for them. So already you can see that problems are coming. Okay, so they go and then they find themselves, they're hungry, they're stressed, they are grumbling. So they're not just grumbling illegitimately, they're hungry. And there is no way in which they can make a plan to organize themselves food. Obviously, God did this intentionally. And so here they find themselves, they're grumbling. Let's go to the next, um, the place, Exodus 16, 1 to 3. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, they had been departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with, with hunger. So can you look at what they're remembering about Egypt? What they remember is that in Egypt, they sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. And their conclusion about God is that he's trying to kill them. So in their minds, Egypt is a better place than being here with this God who's trying to kill them. So can you see that the Israelites have left Egypt, but Egypt is still very much inside of them? God ushered them into this place of freedom, but they don't know what freedom means. God has saved us and brought us into the place of freedom from sin, but we don't understand what freedom means. And so we grumble and we look at people who are not saved and you say, God, why? Because they are living. Why do they get to eat the meat pots? And we must suffer here as Christians, and we must swim upstream. They eat meat pots. And the Lord, I'm sure, looks at us and goes, you want the meat pots that you made from the slave oppression? The, the circumstances that allowed for this meat pot to happen were enslaving you, but you want to go back there because you're unhappy with God has called you to in this moment. So absolutely, God led them into the wilderness. I can say that with confidence, because in Matthew chapter 5, where did God lead Jesus? into the wilderness. So I can say for sure that God led them there. And I can say for sure that they did not want to be there. They wanted to be whatever promise was in their mind, whatever they were imagining this new place was going to be. And, in, and here's the thing. Have you ever heard this phrase, dreaming with God? I like that phrase. I don't know where it comes from, but I understand where, why it's important to do that. Because if you're dreaming not with God and you're dreaming with yourself or you're dreaming with the world, you're definitely dreaming dysfunctional dreams. Because 
whatever definitions we have of success and whatever definitions we have of what flourishing is are informed by something. Israel's definition of success, Israel's definition of flourishing were informed by Egypt. And so it doesn't matter what God does. It doesn't matter how God provides because they are dreaming about Egypt. Nothing good is going to come from God in their minds. And so in Romans, when the Lord says, renew your mind, what repentance is, is turn away from an old pattern of thinking and think differently, think the way God thinks, is because even if God provides for you where you are with how you're dreaming, you won't see it. That's what happens when Egypt is trapped on the inside of you, even when you've been freed and released into this place of promise. So then the Lord answers, and you answer, ask yourself, why were they grumbling to Moses and not to the Lord? So here's the thing. So these people, I do have compassion for the Israelites, because the Israelites, like I said, were born into slavery. And so the Egyptians did not have one God. They had many gods. And so what happens when you've been de defeated by a nation in war, you inherit their gods. So the Israelites inherited these many gods and saw the Egyptians transacting with these many gods you've got a god of food you've got a god of this you've got a god of hail you've got you know what i mean you've got gods of many different things and this is what they experienced about gods and then what happened with the plagues which is what fifi preached about during that 10 times mercy sermon each plague represented one of the egyptian gods and god was undermining them one by one and then at the end it's like okay we are with the right god now right we are with the right god we're going with the right god wherever but in their system, in their default is, if the one God is not doing what you want, choose another one. This is their default. This is what they're used to. So now this God that rescued them out of water from the sea, they're probably thinking, that must have been the God of deliverance. But now we're hungry. <laughs> right? So now they can't go to the, to the God of deliverance for food. Right? So they got Moses... Tell your God or whoever you talk to, we're hungry. Because they're trying to understand how does it work here in the new system? How does it work here in the desert places with this God of deliverance who brought us here? And so Moses goes and he speaks to the Lord and the Lord responds. God said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread down from the skies for you. The people will go out and gather each day's ration. I'm going to test them to see if they're living according to my teaching or not. On the sixth day when they prepare what they have gathered, it will turn out to be twice as much as their daily ration. Now, please know this, right? The Israelites come from a history where what would happen is they would have to gather crops in the harvest time, right? So they, they gather all the crops as much as possible because you don't know what's going to happen in the future. So they have this habit of when harvest time comes, you're working and working and you're gathering and you're storing into barns everything that you're going to need for the future. So when God says... Don't store nothing. I'm going to give you what you need every day. The next morning, they're stealing, they're stealing the free food that God gave them. <laughs> they're stealing the free food that God gave them because their mentality is still in Egypt. And so God is providing for them, and they are still miserable. God is, God is saying, you don't have to work. You don't have to bake. You don't have to deep fry. You don't have to slow cook. You just have to wake up in the morning and go get the food and eat it. And then they steal from the Lord the food. <laughs> and you know what it is. So, you know, there's many different stories and like lessons that you can get from the wilderness. But really, this is not about the wilderness. This is about God inviting his people into relationship and them saying no. 
God is inviting them into a place of relationship. God is inviting them into a place where, they, where he's saying, will you be my people so that I can be your God? Because it says, I'm going to test them to see if they'll live according to my teaching or not. I'm going to see if these can be my covenant people. Can these be a people that, because the promise, this is the promise, back to the promise, it says, through them, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Yeah. This is what God is going after. They want to do it their way. So they're not grumbling. Now they're not grumbling because they're hungry. Because God is feeding them. They're grumbling because God is doing things his way and not their way. Yeah. They're grumbling because what it will require for, for them to live is a reliance on the fact that God is going to provide for tomorrow. Yeah. What it means that what God is inviting them into is a place where they don't know what, ho- what tomorrow holds. Yes, it's great. They're following a fire in the night and a cloud in the day. But they don't know where this fire and this cloud is going. Yeah. So they need to be okay with wherever this fire and this cloud is going. Think about the dreams that we have. Think about the things that we ask God for. Sometimes we pray for things that will result in us not needing God, if those things came through. I'll give you an example. God, this is the amount of money I'm trusting you for, right? And we want that amount of money to come what? In a lump sum. Because if it comes in a lump sum, then you can control what you're going to do with this lump sum. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but here's what I'm challenging. Are we praying for things that will result in us not needing God? Because God provided food for the Israelites. The food wasn't the issue. They want to decide how the food comes and when. That's why they're stealing it. They're stealing the free food so that they can eat it on their terms. What are the things that we want God to bring on our terms so that we can engage those things at our, on our terms, you know what I'm saying? Because then God can be standing here giving you all of his best and you won't see it because you want this. God, I want this and I want it now. And God's like, but if I give you that thing, it's going to kill you. I want it anyway. I want, I want. You know, that's how we are. And that, that's why I started with that scripture that says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways, your ways, declares the Lord. And so we need to be okay that our way might not be the best way. And that if God leads us to the wilderness and we don't want to be there, we go, okay, Lord, how have you provided for us here? Because it's not about where we are, it's about who we're with. But if we're constantly moaning about where we are and with the place that God has ushered us into, and then we start becoming suspicious of God because he led us here. He did, and he did. He did lead them into the wilderness. And so a God that leads you into the wilderness, can you trust that God? And you become suspicious, and then you decide, you know what? It would have been better if we had stayed in Egypt. You know what? I used to be able to handle these kinds of situations. Guys, can I tell you something? Ne? Before I got saved, <laughs> before I got saved, okay, so I come from a family where, I think I've told you guys this before. So my dad is a guy that gets things done. It doesn't matter what the cost is. So we get things done. And so I always, if I just go to him and say, this is the problem, he's going to fix it. The problem is the how. Yeah, the house is challenging. So, for example, recently I was telling the team I was struggling to pay off my speed fines because there were like so many. I repent, it's bad. But uh, there are many, and I was like repenting to them saying I've got many speed fines. And so I ha- hadn't been driving my car because, you know, if you don't, if you're trying to renew your license and you've got many speed fines, they won't let you. So I was driving my husband's car and I'm like trying to figure out, I'm like, Ish, now they want this amount of money from me. But I know if I go to my dad, these tickets are going to disappear. And I don't need to know how they disappear. (laughs) They're just going to like disappear because he gets things done. I didn't do it. I paid. (laughs) But here's here's my point. When we find ourselves in circumstances that we don't want to be in, we want to go to how we used to do things. 
But then you're expecting God to bless those funny plans as well. So you want to do things your own way and then bring that mess to the Lord to bless. It's not going to work. So you choose in this season, are you going to submit to the leadership of the Lord or not? Even in the wilderness. Just because you're in the wilderness, you don't get to choose your God. So we mock the Egyptians, we mock the Israelites for constantly being so dumb. How can they not see this God of fire, this God that parts the Red Seas? We're the same. We're the same. We have the same God who's providing for us in the same way, who's inviting us into the same covenant, the same God that we can trust, but yet we still insist on doing things our own way. <laughs> okay. So in, in John 6, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and they have experienced so much about Jesus, and yet they're still like, okay, Jesus, you know what? Moses gave his people manna. What are you going to give us? This is his disciples. They're like, okay, we hear you. You're, you're great. Now there was manna. They're trying to go, look, manna was the great, because you know the Israelites didn't care about the manna. But later on as the generations, when people just are so curious, like what was manna? What was that quail? How did those, because now they, you know, you, it's always great when you look back. And everything looks great in retrospect. The Israelites were present in that situation and they hated it. But everybody that came afterwards is like, God was giving them food. Every, even we are curious, like, yo, and then we don't have to do anything. God just brings the food you eat. It's lovely, right? They hated it. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, our fathers, the disciples are saying, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness and it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They're basically saying to Jesus, so what are you, you, you know, they had manna, what are you, what are you giving us, Jesus? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, Give us this bread. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I wasn't there, but I can tell you they were disappointed. Because they're like, if you're better than Moses, give us the better food. That's what they're saying, right? And just like, it's me. I am the, I, <laughs> they're like, ah. <laughs> and so this is, this is it. It's like being with God is ultimately the best place to be. Being under the lordship of God, that is the place of success. That is the place of flourishing. Jesus saying, forget about that bread that you're looking for, that thing that you think it's better. It's me. How, disappointing the, how disappointed they were. When, the Lord, when you say to the Lord, Lord, I'm struggling. Lord, this season is tough. And the Lord says, I'm here. How many times has the Lord said that to you? I'm here. And you're like, I don't care. Make this thing go away. <laughs> What is God saying when he says, I'm here? He says, everything you need is found in me. I've given you everything you need and I've made it available. Look up, see me, look into my eyes, see what I'm doing, not what you want me to do, see what I am doing. And even if you don't understand it, believe that because I'm doing it for you, it's good. Why would we want to trust what we have known? Why would we want to trust what we have done when we have so much evidence to show and prove that what we do ends up in destruction. We have evidence in the word, we have evidence in our own lives. Why would we want to leave ourselves to choose again just because we're in the wilderness? God is inviting us to flourish as a community under the leadership of God. 
to flourish as a community under the leadership of God. And what that requires is for you to accept the definition of flourishing that God has for you. Because I, I am sure that as much as the Israelites were dreaming about a promised land that God was not dreaming for them, that it's possible that we're dreaming dreams for ourselves that are not aligned with what God has for us. What this means is that you don't have to just endure for the sake of enduring. You know, one of the messages of the day is like, just enjoy the suffering, enjoy the pain, and, you know, it's going to be fine later. So there's nothing wrong with that, and part of it is biblical. But there are philosophies and doctrines in other faiths that elevate suffering as a spiritual, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's good to suffer, just suffering refines, you know, it's very good. Like, if you're suffering, like, you're holy. So the problem with, with that is that it requires you to endure the suffering, you. And the thing is, the human soul has great capacity to endure suffering. If you look at how black people have endured slavery and how, how people endure abuse, the soul has great capacity to endure suffering. Suffering in and of itself does not produce holiness. But if the Lord calls you in a season to be in a space of wilderness, he'll give you the grace for it. You see how that's a bit different to just suffer? Just? Like, it's be where the Lord has called you to be. Be where the Lord has called you to be and flourish under his leadership. How do you know if you, that's not where the Lord has called you to be? Well, if it's not consistent with scripture, the Lord in scripture is very clear. No abuse, you know, no criminality. There are certain things that are obviously wrong. Later in the, in the book of Exodus, God says to the Israelites, go kill those people. He's saying that this nation, now you need to attack, right? So there are times when the Lord is saying, don't accept this. This that's now happening in your life, don't accept it. This is not what I've called you to. This is not who you are. Don't accept it. And then we're praying. We're saying, okay, Lord, you've said that this situation is not what I should accept. What do you have for me? How do I press through? How do I see what you're doing? How do I move forward? But at the same time, don't resist what God is doing. Don't resist where God has placed you. And for both of these things, we need to be in relationship with God to know the difference. There's no formula, unfortunately. It's a relationship with the Lord where he will tell you, sit, be still, I've got it. Or he says, get up, let's pray. Get up, I need you to go knock on that door. Go and speak to that person. Both of them require God. Outside of God, we can do nothing. Outside of God, we can do nothing. So in this season with everything we've experienced, don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to making it happen in your own strength. Don't go back to believing that we're better than God and that we know better and we can do better and that we can flourish outside of God. We can't. And I am looking and trusting for a community who radically believes the message of Jesus, radically believe that even in seasons of wilderness and drought, God is alive and he provides for his people. The world needs those people who believe it, live it, and in the midst of confusing circumstances have their hope anchored in truth, in the person who Jesus is. I was saying to Carol during the week, I don't celebrate when people say to me, you have so much faith. You like, you know, I wish I was you. The problem is that God has called us for community. So I'm not called to thrive outside of community. And if I thrive outside of community, it will soon, what's the right word? It will water down. We were called to, to thrive in community. We were called to be on fire together. That's why isolation kills, and that's why apart from God, the fires run out. God has called us to be on fire as a community. I am invested in your obedience because it impacts my obedience. I am invested in your purposes and God achieving the purposes for which he sent you because in Scripture, 
Very seldom do you see God making a promise to one person that doesn't affect other people. The promise that God made to Abraham was so that the nations of the earth through him shall be blessed. And so when I find myself on fire by myself, I know I'm in trouble. What's going on with the community of God? Because the promises of God need a community to be fulfilled. Jesus came not for the one. He came for all. He, he came as one person, but he came for all. And so as a community, we are invested in each other's obedience. We're invested in each other's lives and God in our lives because all of us are needed for the promise to come to pass. And so where are the people who are not at church, who are not online? We need to go find them because without them, we can't get to where we need to go, where God has called us. God has not called us to flourish alone. God has called us to flourish in community. God has called us to believe him in community. God has called us to be a community. When people look at us, they say, they're God's people. Those are God's people. They, do, they, they, they don't look like we. They don't behave like we. But there's something, about them that, there's something about them that makes me want that. A chosen people. A holy nation. Chosen for his own possession. The Israelites lived this life with God that nobody understood. But through them, all the nations of the earth, even today, received a blessing. And God never left them. Even when they were suspicious of him, he still provided. Even when they created, you know, they went back to creating their own gods. We'll talk about it later. You know, they were, they were like, you know what, enough. Red Sea and everything, we're still creating our own God. But God never left them. God is looking for a covenant people who will never leave him. God is looking for a covenant people who will stay when they don't understand, who will wrestle until they see the promise fulfilled. Because in Judges 2 verse 10, then came a generation who knew nothing about God and everything he did with Israel. Who knew nothing? What happened? A generation who knew nothing about God and what he had done. Let it not be said of us that that will happen. That after us comes a generation that does not know God. That after us comes a generation that doesn't know the good things that God has done. Because we let go, because we believed in our own strength again, because we went back to what we were before God took us through the Red Sea. We have all gone through the Red Sea. That's what happened when we got saved. Let's not yearn for Egypt just because we're in the wilderness. God is calling us to be a radically different community, believing together in his outrageous goodness and submitting completely to a relationship with him. That's Carol's line. <laughs> believing together in his outrageous goodness. It takes a lot of faith to believe God in the wilderness Talking about a promised land that is filled with plenty, that is just looking amazing, but you're in the wilderness. You're in it, deep in it. You're experiencing the fullness of the drought. There's not, when you're looking around, there's nothing good about the situation. The only thing good is what God is saying. And what God is saying is so different to what you're seeing. But it takes a community believing together in his outrageous goodness. Will we be that community? Not that person, that community. Will we be that community to people? People need that place where people are saying there's hope. Not because something good's going to happen, but because right now, right here, we're with a good God. How do we flourish right now, right here with the good God? God, what are you asking us to do? What is the next step? What should I be seeing? What should I be believing? God, what are you saying? 
we can't do it. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We can come up with strategies. You can try and make it work on your own. But remember, we've tried that before. It didn't work. So can I pray? Father, I pray that you blow your spirit, Lord God. May the winds of your spirit blow in this place. Father, I pray for everybody who's experiencing the wilderness, this season, the drought, the pain, the lack, everything that this season has brought. Father, we, we choose, Lord God, in this season, in the wilderness, to look to you. Father, we thank you that you provide, Lord God, that when we grumble, when we're hungry, when we're in pain, when we're dissatisfied, when we're disappointed, you provide. So, Father, I pray, Lord God, that your doors of provision would open right now in Jesus' name. And for everybody who's in that place of pressing and crushing, and we've been tempted, Lord God, to go back, Lord God, to, to ways and things and thinking, Lord God, that is not of you. And Father, we repent right now in Jesus' name. Father, we turn away, Lord God, from those patterns, from that thinking, and we choose to look to you. Father, thank you for everything that you have made available through your son, Jesus. And Father, I pray, Lord God, for everybody who's here to believe again the message of the gospel to believe again the saving, in the saving work of Christ, in the saving work of Christ, in the delivering work of Christ, in the sustaining work of Christ, that maybe we believed long time ago that you can deliver, but not that you can sustain. And so in this time, Father, I pray that your sustaining grace, your sustaining power, your sustaining grace, your sustaining power would be released in this place, in Jesus' name. Your sustaining grace, your sustaining power that we can plug into you and flourish as a community of God surrendered to you. Amen, oh my word. Thank you, Musa. I feel like I had a five-course meal. Can we give her a...